It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Boy, we got a lot of talk about today. Justin Ferguson here in, I think this is Owasso, Oklahoma. Uh, lovely place. Lovely, lovely town place suites here. Uh, recording before uh, my flight later today from Tulsa back to Atlanta so I can get back to Auburn for a couple of days before the trip to Brooklyn next week. And uh, man, we've got a lot to talk about from Auburn's win over Arkansas. Um, but I'm here. Holding it back down in uh, in lovely Auburn, Alabama. Dan Peck of the Dan Peck Radio Network. Daniel, well, I'm sure we'll get into this in the podcast, but you had your Troy duties yesterday, Troy uh, calling Troy women's basketball, and so you did not get to watch the Auburn Arkansas game live. You got the beauty of watching this game DVR'd after the fact with little to no spoilers. Um, I'm sure that was an experience. Yeah, once it got to I, I think it was the I think it was the wooden fumble recovery was where I finally felt comfortable checking to see like how bad things got and and I think that's when I finally reached out to you and told mm-hmm. you like what I was doing but I I did not I mean I I think my prediction on the on the show last week was somebody's winning at the buzzer and this game was decided well before halfway uh, through the, the first uh, quarter the buzzer I, and I do want to point out we have pivoted to video. With the with the Dan Peck Radio Network, so we might we might have oh, to go to the the Dan the Peck Dan the Dan multimedia. Peck multi, yeah the Dan Peck multimedia empire is, experience is, think, yeah the yeah, Dan Peck that, multimedia experience might might be the uh we'll, we'll see Peck Peck Enterprises always uh always in the in the the research and development folks you know always doing great work down there uh holding it down in the pit underground bunker where the government cannot track him uh producer engineer editor man about town. Mr. Painter Sharp was holding it down. Painter, game yesterday went like none of us expected. Uh, how, how how was that watch it, watching uh, from the bunker? First off, being called an engineer is awesome. A lot of yeah. credit being given to someone who edits podcasts by calling them an engineer. I'll take it. Secondly, uh, I thought it was very plausible they would win a close game. I think I called it an, uh, a game that Auburn could almost certainly win by a score or that the game would be decided almost certainly by one score. So you can add that to the long list of things in my life that I have gotten wrong. Oh, I think we all did. I mean, we were talking before the game, some of us who cover Auburn, and it was like, I think most of the people I talked to had Arkansas win in this game, just because I can Auburn do it on the road. The answer is yes, ladies and gentlemen, Auburn can do it on the road. And they did. Now we'll have to have a very stern conversation about the Arkansas Razorbacks here shortly, but uh, Auburn 48, Arkansas 10. Boys, this was the most lopsided win for Auburn uh, since uh, 2019. Uh, this was one of the best offensive performances on the ground for Auburn since 2016. Both of those games against Arkansas. I wrote it in the observations on Saturday, and it and I, I believe it with my whole heart now. When the team on the sidelines – wearing all white or the orange and blue of the Auburn Tigers when they have their act together or at least somewhat together. The team on the other side of the field, their jerseys say Arkansas, and that team usually has a bad time against an Auburn team that's competent. That's just, it's kind of one of those truisms that we have seen in college football, uh, in SEC football the last the last couple of decades, really. Uh, Auburn just handles Arkansas um, and, and usually puts up some of their best performances this season with them. Um, you know, on the other sideline, I found it very fitting that Auburn blew out 
uh, Arkansas on the same day that Gus Malzahn blew out a team uh, that a lot of people didn't expect him to even beat, much less blow out uh, with UCF beating Oklahoma State. It, it's just very fitting. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, Gus tried to beat Arkansas as much as possible uh, during his tenure here. Uh, we know he's very good friends with Hugh Freeze, and Hugh Freeze got that opportunity uh, in uh, his first trip to Fayetteville with Auburn. Now, Auburn or Arkansas Ole Miss did not have, when he was at Ole Miss, they didn't have the, the kindest of history with Arkansas. But at Auburn, it's part of the reason why he's at Auburn, part of the reason why people think he could take a step up from what he has done in the past at Auburn is because you have more resources, you have more talent, yada, yada, yada. Auburn really took care of business in this game. And guys, we said this in the preview podcast. It looked like Auburn was the better team at the line of scrimmage. And that was the difference of the ball game. They dominated both sides of the ball. So, Dan, Painter, where do we want to start here? Offense or defense? Because it's dominant on both sides when, when we do this, this kind of breakdown. Painter? Let's start offense. It was the performance that I think a lot of fans have been waiting for. The defense has been the anchor of the team thus far, and it deserves a ton of credit for how it bullied Arkansas. Let's be honest, you know, they have not looked sharper on on the offensive side of the ball all year and this is a big part of the reason why you went out and hired Hugh Freeze. And they did it on the ground. This was classic Auburn football. Um the 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 running game was superb. 354 rushing yards in this game, an average of 6.6 yards per carry once you take out the one sack that uh that uh, Arkansas had in this game. Jarquez Hunter had 6.8 yards a carry. Peyton Thorne had 7.3 yards per carry. Damari Austin, 5.3. Brian Batee, 6. Uh, Robbie Ashford got loose on a couple of runs. Uh, only Jeremiah Cobb didn't have the one big one uh, for Auburn. Everybody who touched the ball got it done. And this offensive line, they've had to rotate. They've had to move guys around. They've taken their lumps this year. But, Dan, I don't know how it came across on TV, the 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 holes that Auburn was opening up on the on the offensive line were massive, and those guys had all the room in the world to run. We have seen this Auburn offense here recently kind of get gummed up at the line of scrimmage, kind of a boomer bust running game. It was all booms in this one. Auburn had thirteen runs of ten plus yards in this game. This was one of the best rushing performances we've ever seen Auburn have against an SEC opponent. Um, period, and uh, you know they've they. It, it harkens back to the only thing close to it uh, might be that 2016 se- season where they hammered Arkansas. And that was just a historic record-breaking day. This one's a little different, but man, this was this was the running game that Auburn fans have really, really been waiting to see. Um, not boom or bust. It was boom, 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 and everybody got involved. There's a really competitive like quarter and a half tucked into this game, right? From when from when the 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 thorn interception right up until the end of the first half. I think the game is, I mean, at that point, it's 20, I think it's 21 nothing when Auburn throws the interception and a quarter and a half later, it's 27 three. You know, Arkansas had held on and really held Auburn to just six points in the final quarter and, you know, the, the final quarter and a half of the first half. They put three, three up on the board themselves. The problem is. The other two and a half quarters of this game are just outright domination by Auburn, including the twenty-one nothing. I mean, it's it's fourteen nothing uh, before. I mean, with with I mean, there's there's over ten left in the first quarter 
when Auburn scores on the punt return. It's twenty-one nothing after two full drives from both teams. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it's, and I don't think Arkansas had completed a pass, mm-hmm. and it's it's twenty-one nothing before Arkansas completes their first pass of the game, and then the second half starts with three straight touchdowns by Auburn. The first three times Auburn touches the ball, and whatever resistance Arkansas was putting up there when the first half ended had had completely gone by the wayside. No, it, it is a, I mean, it it was stunning, and I think uh, to look at the running game because I think that was that was the main problem for Arkansas was I mean yes you could look at Arkansas's offensive line and their ability to block uh, for for their offense, but Arkansas's biggest problem was felt like Auburn could run the ball at will. Um, you know, when, when at at least for most of the game and when you let a Hugh freeze offense with these kind of players run the ball at will, you're, you're looking at a really one-sided loss. 71% of the time Auburn ran the ball in this game. This was establish it, lean on it and just hammer away with a lot of different guys. You know, it wasn't just, Hey, Jarquez had a good day. Hey, it wasn't just throwing. I mean, Pave Thorne set the tone in this game. He talked after the game about the importance of getting off to a fast start. And look, we've seen Auburn. This is now three weeks in a row where Auburn has done a good job of getting started in the in the game, starting hot on offense. And he said, just get playing faster, setting the tone, wanting to be physical. He said we wanted to be the one to punch him first. And uh, this is a this is a story that it was relayed to me by Jason Caldwell, our friend who was down on the field during the game. He said when Peyton Thorne, so he ha- Peyton has the good run on the first play of the game. He has another one to convert a third and three later. Then on the next play, he runs a touchdown, guys, where he takes the soul out of a defender, uh, you know, in the end zone. Absolutely trucks him, looks back at him. It's mean. It's it's one of the coldest shots you'll ever see. Um on, on, on the field. I asked Peyton after the game if he'd ever trucked a guy like that before. He said, I don't think so. He once said that he once said that he told his dad, who was his coach or was a coach, like, hey, I you know, I trucked that guy one time in high school and his dad said, No, you didn't. Um, so this might be the best <laughs> the first time Peyton's ever gotten to like really catch a body like that uh, on the on the play. But according to Jason Caldwell, and uh I, I feel comfortable saying this because he said this on uh, on their podcast. Uh, that went up either last night or or, the, or uh, Sunday morning. He said when Peyton scored, he scored on that touchdown and you know, ran over that guy. He was running off the field, yelling, uh, "All bleeping day!" Like <laughs> tone setter, man. Like that. Like like you come in and say, "Hey, we are going to punch you in the in the mouth, and we are not going to stop until you make us uh, until you make us." And he did that. And I mean, Gr- Peyton Thorne again. Bad interception, couple of bad decisions. You're gonna get that from him. I think even his good seasons at Michigan State, his good season at Michigan State, he had a tendency to force some things sometimes, try a little too much, you know, make some bad plays. He's not perfect. He's a college football quarterback, but he's a solid college football quarterback. He's a good college football quarterback. Uh, when th- you know when, when things are going well, like around him, he's not Heisman contender, but he's playing some good football, and you're gonna have to live with some of that. I think with him as your as your QB. But I mean, it's just the the set the tone. Nothing's nothing was more fitting for the way this game went than having your quarterback run slap over a guy to score a touchdown. And then by the end of the game, it was like, yeah, we did whatever we wanted on the ground against you. Um, it, tough for tough for our guy Travis Williams, you know, beloved uh, former Auburn player and coach, who's the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. 
fellas, we're recording this. This is like ten thirty on on Sunday morning. Um, I don't know if Sam Pittman's going to make it through the day. Um, I don't know what that staff's going to look like moving forward. Um, we'll see. A uh, and M kind of took the sh- took the took the shine off of everything uh, this morning, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I mean, this was this was just utter dominance, and it started up front. This is an Auburn offensive line that got to lean on. And Arkansas defenses, as we talked about earlier in the week, like solid against the run, not dominant, but solid. And Auburn, Auburn ran through them like no one had done this season. I'd like to know, Justin, how much you think the improvement we've seen from both Peyton Thorne and Jarquez Hunter has to do with the teams they've played the last couple of weeks versus sort of anything else. Because I've been, I've been harping on expect Peyton Thorne to improve in part because it's so hard to join a team when Peyton Thorne joined a team and be ready to go for the start of the season. You would think that a a quarterback that missed spring practice, like there's room to improve as he familiarizes himself with his teammates and the offense and the new situation he's been in. Jarquez did not join the team this this offseason, but he had a you know, it, it was tumultuous and and he was not available for the first game. And we don't know how much of the offseason he was unavailable for. Uh, but but it is I mean, I think it's really promising, assuming they're both on next year's team, seeing the way that Jarquez and Peyton Thorne have both played in the home stretch, I think really gives I mean, that that's that's a, that should be a source of enthusiasm for, for next year's Auburn team. Absolutely. 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 I mean, and it's the variety of weapons that they use. It's not just Darquez. Damari had some really good runs. Damari Austin did not have a 10 yard run in this game and still averaged a chunk of yardage. How about this one, guys? We had talked about how Auburn against Vanderbilt, it was just just not very efficient, but super explosive. This game was efficient and explosive. This was like Auburn's uh, success rate was like 98th percentile. Um, you know, it, it, it for for what you would see from an FBS team this season, I and mean, they were just hammering it away. And you look at this offensive line; it's a big game for this offensive line. Think about it this way: Jeremiah Wright and uh, Cam Stutz, really, are the only two guys in that offensive line rotation that were here last year. You're looking at Dylan Wade, Too Tall Miller, um, Gunnar Britton, Avery Jones when he's been when he was healthy, uh, Connor Lou. Jaden Muskrat. Well, these guys are brand new. And yes, it's Arkansas. This is not your it's not like they ran like this against Georgia. It's not like they ran like this against you know even AM and they might not run like this against Alabama because Alabama's really, really good up front. But to it's it's gotta feel like such a relief and just uh, I don't know, just you know, you got to feel really pleased if you're Auburn by saying like, we had to do the impossible this offseason and try to build an offensive line out of transfers and new pieces. And it wasn't always great this year, but towards the end of the year, you're playing your best football and you're dominant up front uh, in a game like this. Like that has to feel that has to feel pretty good for this staff because I I didn't know if Auburn was capable of this this year against against any against any SEC team. Right? It was like. They had been either hitting huge runs or or you know getting short runs. It just wasn't ever as efficient and clicking like this. And to do that against an Arkansas team again, like that's been pretty solid on the ground. 
um, is pretty tough. Now, did Arkansas uh, did Arkansas kind of go through a little bit of the Q word? I think in this game, probably. Um, but even still, like you're able to you're able to do that and punch a team in the mouth. Painter, we talked about this last week. Auburn needed to get off to a good start because Arkansas still had something to play for this year. They could have won out. They could have made a bowl game. They were coming off that big win against Florida. Their offense looked awesome. And midway through the first quarter, that game was over. It was, it was, you know, uh, it, it felt like it in the stands. I don't know how it came across on TV, but it just, it was like the energy was just sucked out of that stadium uh, by the time Auburn went up 21 nothing. Am I getting tricked? Was is the internet fooling me? Did I see a video of them watching the Polar Express, or was that from a different era? What, what was going on? Can I get some help about I, whether or not the internet's fooling me again? Okay, so there's a video of the Polar Express playing in the in the Arkansas locker room. It, the video claims to be have been taken at halftime. I did see somebody on Sunday morning cross-reference with the TV schedule, and the Polar Express was playing on TV during halftime on that game somewhere. So It's also the top. It's it's one of the top things on Max lately. I think, like, Elf and Polar Express have been, like, the top two most watched movies on, on Max over the last couple of weeks. So it's available to people who uh, who want to watch it. Auburn turned uh, Arkansas into hot chocolate, if, uh, if you want to go a little Polar Express uh, reference there that it, it's uh i mean to see and and i think part of the reason why the game felt over was and, and i don't know how much of it is like on uh kj jefferson's ability as a quarterback versus arkansas's ability to protect him but it, it did not seem like arkansas was going to throw their way back into this game and seeing auburn i think it was it was the the second or third drive of the game for arkansas where it's like all right Auburn has now scored. What is your response? And it felt like their response was two runs and then a pass play on third and long and then a punt. And and it's I mean, I could see how the frustration would boil over on the sideline in the stands uh, because it, it did seem like there was a lack of urgency early when the game was getting away from Arkansas, where, look, maybe you don't want to throw the ball a ton with K.J. Jefferson. But when it's 14, when it's 21 early, you, you maybe need to throw it more than than they wanted to. And uh, and it it, you know, it didn't didn't uh, didn't materialize offensively for Arkansas until uh, until the game was until the game was basically over. Extension of the running game is the screen game, the quick passing game, the underneath stuff. Um, Auburn did a really good job on that as well. There was a touchdown. Rivaldo Fairweather's first touchdown came on a little flare screen where he ran through a tackle. Guys are running through tackles like crazy in this game. Brian Batie, grown man business down there. I know he's a, I know he's a little guy, but I'm telling you, we 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 talked about it when he signed with Auburn. It's like look at some of the plays he made last year at USF. He's got a he's got a a, a knack for just running through tackles and he he showed that in this game. But it was like Auburn didn't really stretch the field in this game cuz they didn't have to. Their biggest pass in play was that RPO slant early to Caleb Burton. Caleb Burton's dragging people down the field in this game. Um, really, really big. Look, yes, there were problems with the passing game in this one. It wasn't firing on all cylinders. But Auburn didn't have to really rely on it because on first down, they averaged over seven yards of play. They barely got into third and medium. They barely got into third and long. ton of third and shorts. Moved the chains. And on top of that, it just everything kind of came free and easy for them. 
yes, tough stretch for Camden Brown there. Yes, Auburn had to at, – at one point, they just had to move Javarius Johnson out to the outside and say, hey, go make a play. We're not we're not making very many plays on the outside in this game. But still, it, it really, really worked out. And they – like, Freeze said it after the game. It's, it's really something when everybody in the building – Holding knows you're running the ball and you're still getting five, six, seven yards at a time. Like that is, that's a sign of just leaning on somebody and just dominating them in the trenches. And again, it was, it was kind of Malzanian. It was, it was kind of, you know, classic Auburn football where, yes, it's great to have a, a passing attack and, and an explosive one. And it's the one thing that has kind of kept Auburn from being an elite team. We're really over the last, most of the last decade. But when you have a game like this that you just need to you just need to win away from home and you can do that without without putting the ball in the air, that's that's as perfect as, as a day as you can you can get as an offense. When you just know, hey, what's the old adage? Three things can happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad. If we don't have to do that, it doesn't really matter. Just hand it off to hand it off to guy and let him go to work. And there there aren't a ton of Auburn players who were on last year's team because the roster you know has has changed but there are enough of them who remember the final game of the Brian Harson era which was Arkansas coming to Jordan Hare last year and running the ball at will especially in the second half and making it seem like there was there was an urgent need for Auburn to make a change and it is remarkable how in just a year the shoe is on the other foot and it's Auburn going to Arkansas and winning in a way that maybe makes Arkansas take a hard look in the mirror and, and ask uncomfortable questions about the direction of the program. I mean, this was a game for Auburn that they got everything they wanted out of it. Uh, at the end of the game, they're playing freshman offensive linemen and still running the ball. They're giving the ball to, to the future and letting them go to work. Uh, Robbie Ashford did come into the game there and, he had a really bad pick. I think like, I haven't gone back and watched it a ton. It felt like in the moment it's maybe trying to do a little too much on on, on that RPO. You know, you'll you'll live and let live on that one. You're you're crushing them. Uh, Holden Garner getting into the game uh, down the stretch. I mean, it's just offensively, this is everything Auburn wanted uh, from from a, from a matchup like this, and it's dominance. It's Arkansas. Arkansas might be just toast this year and they, and they look like it and they've been bad for most of the year, but I would say their defense hasn't been awful. T will has not done a bad job with that defense at, at all. Uh, but it didn't matter. I mean, this was, this was just, this was just a tail kicking on offense. And I did not think guys that Auburn was capable of this, this season. I, I didn't, I felt like even at its best Auburn's offense it was going to be kind of some of what we saw in the like the second quarter of that game where it's just like, yeah, a little, you know, hot and cold, stop, start, whatever, you know, kind of gets in their own way a, a, a few too many times. Nope, not in this one. And next week they're going to play New Mexico State. And New Mexico State's got a good offense by a uh, group of five standards. I'll say it one more time. New Mexico State has not played a power five team this year, and they've only played one team with a winning record. This is not – this is not really a, a, a super scary matchup uh, for the Tigers um, like it could be, but you can have a ton of momentum going into the Iron Bowl with your offense, and that is something that I think a month ago very few of us thought were, was even possible. So really, really good 
uh, performance there uh, from Auburn's offense. Auburn's defense, switch over. This was not as surprising to me that Auburn just kicked Arkansas's teeth in on offense. I think Florida's defense is just very bad, as evidenced by them giving up, what was it, 7,000 yards to Jaden Daniels on on uh, on Saturday night. I think that was I think that was the final number. Um but KJ Jefferson they I mean they got back. They got back to what they were wanting to do. Rocket Sanders got involved. This was a this was an Auburn team that needed to be prepared for an Arkansas offense like old Arkansas. And from the first few drives of the game, I mean three straight three and outs to start the game for Arkansas. Auburn just lived in the backfield in this one. I think Arkansas's offensive line is bad. This is this to me, Dan. You were talking. You were talking about the tough conversations about Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman's the offensive line guy, and this is the worst Arkansas offensive line I have seen, like maybe ever. Like Auburn did whatever they wanted getting into the backfield on this guy. And it wasn't just Jalen McLeod, who nine tackles, four tackles for loss, three sacks, phenomenal performance from him. He's probably going to be SEC Defense Player of the Week, as Eugene Asante said. But, like, it was everybody. It was everybody who was taking the field for Auburn was getting into the backfield and making plays. You got to be careful when you talk about ever with Arkansas football. Sure, but. (laughs) The Chad Morris and Brett Bielema eras ended with, with some real thuds. Uh, this Man, they is can't. As, they can't move the ball, Dan. Oh, it's, they it, can't. It's as it's as bad as I ever thought it would get under Sam Pittman, uh, as as an offensive line because that's that's one mm-hmm. like you know you thought that with Sam Pittman to be like okay well maybe skill positions and defense could be a mixed bag but you felt like that's a unit on the offensive line that with Sam Pittman leading the charge would never uh would would never sink to where they appear to be right now and I think that's a uh, that's a real surprise because, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they just it was, you know, it, if if you're going to, you know, if, if if the identity is going to be power running and you're when you're going to have players like KJ and Rocket Sanders in the backfield, uh, although it's been a, you know, a nightmare season for Rocket Sanders with with the uh, uh, with, with his inability to stay on the field. But the yeah, I mean, it, it's it is shocking to see uh, how inept the Arkansas offense is when you think about not just what they bring back from last year, but, but who's in charge as, as the head coach. This Auburn defense has been playing really good football recently. We said this last week after they teed off on Vanderbilt's pass, uh, pass protection. Hey, Arkansas is really bad up front this year, giving up a lot of sacks, giving up a lot of negative plays. You got to take advantage of that. You got to take advantage of that. And they did Jalen McClough guys, uh, you want to see how insane Jalen McLeod's game was? This is from PFF. All right. Jalen McLeod played 28 snaps on Saturday. That's it. 28. Here's what Jalen McLeod did He rushed the quarterback nine times. He dropped back into coverage six times. And he and he was in run defense, run defensive assignment 13 times. Okay. Of the nine pass rushing snaps he had, he had three sacks. And another pressure, a hurry. Okay, so nearly half the time he went after the quarterback, he got home and made a play. A third of the time he went after the quarterback, he sacked him. That's insane enough. He had 13 run defensive plays. 
according to PFF, he had seven run stops. And a run stop is basically when you make the tackle on a run play and it is unsuccessful. It does not fall into the success rate category, um, a positive success rate. He did that over half the times the team ran against him. This was one of the best performances I've seen from an Auburn defensive player in a game. Ultra efficient, um, was just living in the backfield. McLeod's gotten so much healthier recently, and it's really shown. Um, you look at Auburn in this game, they finished with 16 pressures, 16 pressures in this game. And you might sit there and think to yourself, okay, 16 pressures, that's not a ton. That's not a crazy amount. Arkansas only dropped back to pass 28 times in this game. They were in the backfield over and over and over and over again, and it set the tone for everything. Um, I don't know if you saw the if you guys saw this, but apparently Auburn's defense has a tradition. Their defensive front now has a tradition called the Boneyard. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw saw the word about the Boneyard, but Keontae Scott let us in on on, on that secret, and we talked to some other players about it on Saturday. Um, the Boneyard is if Auburn gets three sacks on a quarterback in a game, they put his picture up on the wall in the meeting room and said we sent him to the Boneyard. Jalen McLeod had a Boneyard day by himself. And he wasn't alone. Marcus Harris had a good good game. Uh, Eugene Asante came in and did well. Uh, I think Champ Anthony had a half sack at one point. Uh, you know, Auburn played a lot of different dudes on defense in this game. Austin Keys um, came really close to another sack as well. A lot of pressure. And like, yeah, I, look, KJ Jefferson is not the KJ Jefferson of old. This is not the Arkansas offense that we have seen him play in. But Dan, you're a big fella. You, you you know you know you know what you know what it's what it's like to you know, it's hard to take a guy like you down right you know I think not very many people have tackled you before or knocked you off balance I don't want I don't want to turn this into a thing where observer listeners are going to start you know seeing who, who yeah who can start tackling the sack Dan, da- the sack yeah. Dan Dan, Dan Peck challenge we're not doing this we're not doing this folks uh, but, no but, but like it, 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 it's I asked the guys after the game like how hard is it to tackle KJ Jefferson because Auburn had just five sacks they could have had like a five more in this one it's just KJ Jefferson is hard to bring down and he's gonna escape he's 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 too he's too dense he has his own his, his own gravitational pull it feels like when it comes to when it comes to uh, defenders see but I'm I'm thinking with the with the emphasis on speed over size that we've seen in Auburn's defense the last couple of years right like the way that they've sort of built this roster you know it, yeah maybe one guy isn't going to bring down KJ every time but you know KJ's going to have to deal with a swarm of defenders around him which which seem to be the case often and I think for Arkansas when you have KJ and Rocket Sanders who are both big for their positions right Rocket Sanders mm-hmm. over 200 40 pounds as a uh, as a running back the hope is that gradually it's going to get harder and harder for defenses to uh, to make those tackles and it, maybe it's a tackle in the first quarter but in the third or fourth quarter it could be a missed tackle arkansas couldn't get any momentum going and and when you fall down the way you know when you when the score goes the way that it did you you would think that the run you know sticking to the run is is going to be more difficult. So just nothing was going Arkansas's way, and and it was a, I mean the way Auburn started the game sort of made Auburn you know made Arkansas. I I would imagine they they had to rethink any sort of run first plan once mm-hmm. they found themselves down twenty one, uh, the halfway through the first quarter. 
To your point, Dan, uh, Arkansas finished his day with 120 rushing yards. 60 of them came on one play from Jacoby Quiz- Criswell in the fourth quarter. It was just this was this was just uh, a tail okay through, again. Through the first three quarters, it was as one sided on the ground as the Fred Talley game. Mm-hmm. Like that's for for Auburn folks who wanted to go back and look because I think I think Arkansas had 400 plus rushing yards in 02. Uh, they they had four times as many yards as Auburn did in that game. That's the way things went for the first three quarters uh, yesterday. So to your point, Dan, uh, through three quarters yesterday, Auburn had 257 rushing yards. That was an average of seven per carry. Arkansas had 57 with an average of two per carry. Uh, and also in the fourth quarter, even with that touchdown drive from from Arkansas, Auburn still finished with more rushing yards in the fourth quarter alone than Arkansas did. This was dominance. And yes, they gave up a couple of big plays. It's going to happen. One of those big plays, you know, Arkansas, uh, KJ Jefferson had that one where he broke a sack and threw the threw it over the guy in the middle of the field. Had 31 yards on the play, converted third and ten. Only third down, only third down. Arkansas converted. At all game was a broken play. It was e- it could have easily been over on the day uh, for Auburn's uh, third down defense. And what happens on that drive? They punt three three plays later. I mean, they just this is a defense that has played so so well, and we've talked about it. They just get stops. And when you play a team, when you're a just get stops defense, and you finally get to play a team on offense that has struggled against you, you get to really flex your muscles on them. We saw it against Vandy. We saw it against Mississippi State. And now we're seeing it against uh, against Arkansas. And shout out to the seatbelt gang too, right? Because I think a big reason yeah. why a big reason why Arkansas didn't want to throw the ball more early is because Auburn secondary can make you pay for that. They can get stops. They can they could pick it off. And I mean, on top of Keontae Scott getting the punt return touchdown, which we maybe will save for the special teams mm-hmm. portion of the show, the fact that Auburn secondary I think influenced Arkansas's game plan to try to be a a run first, run second kind of team against Auburn. And e- even when they were down, they, they still, you know, were, were trying to get something going on the ground. And I think part of that is a concern that if you if you try to air it out, things could get worse because DJ James and uh, Keontae Scott and, and the rest of the game. I mean, Zion Puckett had the the he forces the turnover uh, with the uh, with, with the fumble that that uh, that, that wouldn't picks up. And, uh, and and nearly takes back for a touchdown. So I mean, it, I know KJ went ten for sixteen, but I thought it was a it was an outstanding game by the Auburn secondary from from the moment it started. It was it, it was an outstanding game. Uh, DJ James played phenomenally. Um, Caleb Wooden play to the whistle uh, is the best way to say it. There, um, he got he got caught uh, at the end. Teammates gave him some grief about it. But I mean, it's like he ran out of gas there at the very, very end. the The turnover streak lives. Uh, Jalen McLeod uh, strip sack earlier in the game sets up a sets up a late field goal from uh, Alex McPherson in the second quarter. Uh, this this defense is just humming right now. And again, the end of the year, you're not going to look back and, at this Auburn defense and see a insanely good yards per play mark. Although yesterday definitely helped them in that regard. But what you're going to see is a defense that got off the field on third down, made life difficult for teams in the red zone, and and forced turnovers. That's that's the recipe for excellent football. They are greater uh, than the sum of their parts, I think. Ron Roberts has done a phenomenal job. Every, 
every assistant on on that defensive staff has done a phenomenal job this year. Guys that are do guys that are not going to be here for much longer. Who knew that this year was about setting the tone and setting the table for the future are making big plays. And I think that's like some really good, unselfish, sacrificial, just football. Hey, I'm not going to be here for the glory days if they come here, but I'm here for, I'm here to set the tone. There's a lot of those guys doing that this season that stayed at Auburn or picked Auburn to help be a part of that. Uh, it's really, really good to see. And uh, there was one more thing I was going to say about the defense that I'm blanking on right now. Oh dear. Hopefully it'll come back to me here uh, shortly, but this yeah, this Auburn defense is just they're just playing really, really well. And Panner, I don't know. Again, like I said, I wasn't sure if the Auburn offense was capable of a performance like this last three weeks. Yes, they're playing. They're playing three of the worst teams in the SEC. But the fact that they are doing stuff like this, I think, has got to be a really good sign for the future. Because oh, I know what I was going to talk about. Hey, I just I just interrupted my own train of thought. Uh, I did want to ask. I do want to ask you this, Panther. Though, just Auburn's defense. What you've seen from them from the last month, even the Ole Miss game, I thought they played really well in that one. I mean, what does that kind of do when you look at the big picture of what Auburn can end up being uh, moving forward? I think the vibes are massively up, and I would imagine also that this is um, more evidence of what we've talked about a good bit over the last, I don't know, year or so. It's been nearly a year since Freeze was hired. Um, you want to see some evidence that things are moving in the right direction. And this defense, I think, all year has been, what's the term, uh, greater than the sum of its parts. And and that was mm-hmm. never more clear than it than it was on on Saturday against Arkansas. So the thing I was going to mention is the thing that happened. I think the funniest thing that happened during this game. Um, so I got the last question in the press conference against Hugh, against Hugh Freeze. <laughs> Woo, sorry. Uh, to Hugh Freeze. Uh, after after the game, and I asked him about the pass rush and saying like the difference in that pass rush this year, um, the la- the last month, how how much better they've gotten, and uh, you can find the video on my Twitter account. You can find it, you know, wherever um, people put up the the post game video. But uh, here's Freeze's answer to that question. He said, "Yeah, it doesn't feel like we're getting the number of sacks that we should. It looked like we could have had some more, but there's no question we're disrupting the pocket better than we did at the beginning of the year. Hopefully, in recruiting." We can go get us another pass rusher or two, hopefully soon. And he started laughing, and there were some some of us in the room that started that were started laughing. Um, Freeze said this, and less than an hour later, Auburn picks up a commitment from one of the best pass rushers in the country. Uh, um, they get a commitment flipping from Florida, Jamonte Waller. Uh, the really, really talented, uh, he's top 50 in the country on two, four, seven, number five edge player, uh, in the, in his class. Uh, he is from, he, he is now Auburn's number two, uh, recruit in this class overall, uh, according to two, four, seven, uh, from, uh, the state of Mississippi. Uh, he knew it was coming. That's, that's why he made that reference. That's why it's why it was the, it was the, the, the joking and the, and the laughing at the, at the end of it. But, you talk about a really, really good day for Auburn, Dan. Like, not only can you say, "Hey, we're doing some things at the line of scrimmage that we sh- we're showing that this team can get better over time, and that you're heading in the right direction," but we all know recruiting is going to be the lifeblood of this of this rebuild. And to be able to have one of your most dominant performances in years and and pair it with one of the biggest flips you could have possibly gotten in this 2024 class is just, I mean, it, it again, perfect day for for Auburn football. 
Yeah, I mean, and we said uh, the uh, you know the buzzards could circle Billy Napier's recruiting class if things don't go well for Florida on the field uh, this year. Uh, that also could be true of players currently committed to go to Texas A and M, depending on uh, recent uh, developments. Uh, so yeah, I think that recruiting doesn't end uh, when a player offers a verbal commitment. And uh, and and the fact that Auburn uh, can flip a uh, Waller, who had been committed to Florida since the summer, uh, is uh, is evidence of that. Uh, with uh, with signing day less than a month away, we will definitely talk about Texas A and M, and we'll talk some big picture stuff involving Auburn football and and the future here very shortly. Before we do that, let's take care of some business. Hi, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like it and you want more of it. You can subscribe to the Auburn Observer, $6 a month or $60 a year. Gets you everything that we do, all of our newsletters. We had two really good film rooms. I say really good, not because I wrote them, but because people responded to them. The response was really good, I should say. Uh, film rooms on football and basketball that you can check out uh, on site. A lot of observations from Auburn football and Auburn basketball games. I'll be in Brooklyn this week. Uh, we'll be covering all the stuff going on, mailbags, all that fun stuff. I mean, we're, get, we're putting out newsletters pretty much every day and we're putting out podcasts uh, throughout the week. If you want a subscription, $6 a month or $60 a year, go to auburnobserver.com, check it out. Um there are links in the description, there are uh buttons on the emails, whatever. However you got here, you'll be able to find it really really easily. Also, want to say real quick, a couple of you've already asked this week, it's that time. As Painter likes to say, Christmas is just around the corner. Uh he likes to say that in June sometimes. Uh but uh Gift subscriptions. Some of y'all are already asking about giving gifts for Christmas. Yes, uh, go to auburnobserver.com slash gift, uh, and you can send a gift subscription. All you need is the other person's email, uh, and once you pay the subscription, subscription, whether it's a month or a year, they've got it in their inbox. You can also set the timer for it to start at a certain time. So if you know that you're having a Christmas party or you want to wait till Christmas Day or a, a different a different time, you can set it for it to go off at that point in time. So it's a perfect way to um, give all, an Auburn fan in your life something that you know you feel like they they, they could definitely enjoy. Auburn it's a great it's a great gift for anybody in your life watching the Polar Express at halftime of a uh, of, of a competitive game, whether they're whether they're supposed to be uh, getting ready for the second half or not. Chris Moore's favorite movie, and uh, if, if 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 y'all remember that line from from last season, that was one of my favorite press conference moments of all time. Also, uh, Painter, tell them how they can help us out for no money down please rate review and follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast yep it uh just takes a few seconds and uh, it helps us out a ton gives five stars on apple spotify wherever you listen to podcasts that'll help also let's talk to you about our good friends from homefield apparel homefieldapparel.com the number one place to buy t-shirts sweatshirts hoodies uh hats uh bomber jackets joggers all that good stuff from your favorite college teams if you're listening to this podcast, it's almost assuredly Auburn. Um, they got plenty of cool Auburn stuff. It's a great holiday gift. Go ahead and get those orders out early because you don't want to be um, you, you don't want to be somebody that's having to rely on the United States Postal Service uh, to to get your stuff to you on time. So go ahead and get those holiday orders in. You can get 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com by using the promo promo code Observer23 at checkout. You can also buy the official Auburn Observer t-shirt. Just search Auburn Observer at Home Field Apparel. Get all the stuff for the Auburn fan or whatever fan in your life at Home Field Apparel. All right, boys. Auburn's bowl eligible. Six wins. They've, they've done it. You know, we talked about it 
Got to win two out of the next three. They win all three of them. Um, they get New Mexico State next week. They they win that game. They get to seven. Seven and four heading into the Iron Bowl. Um, here's an interesting thing. Two interesting things. Number one, seven wins would be the most wins for Auburn in the regular season since 2019. That's relevant. Uh, and it kind of shows you the state of the program and how this is a true rebuild. Number two, um, Auburn can end up with the same regular season record this year as USC. Uh, I just wanted to float that one out there. I don't think anybody had that on their bingo card heading into the season, especially with USC playing a Pac-12 schedule. Um, this this has just been a this has just been a a great turnaround. Yes, it's the quality of the opponents you've played that will help a ton, but you have to take care of business. Auburn was a slight favorite. Uh, in the first game and won big, uh, won by double digits. They were they covered against Vandy. They were the dog in this game and blew Arkansas out. That is clear sign that this team is moving forward on the field. We had talked about how recruiting is going to be the lifeblood of what happens moving forward for Auburn football. They are recruiting well. We talk about it. Hey, Cam Coleman is a, the five-star receiver from Phoenix City. Um, A&M's firing Jimbo. Could that be a sign that something's something, you know, Auburn could be in the mix to flip him? You got other flip opportunities. There's tons of flip candidates out there. There's some other guys that are making their decisions down the stretch. I talked to a few people this week who would know there's a real shot, guys. There's a real shot that Auburn could flirt with the top 10 class this year. They're just good. I'm not saying they're going to do it. And I think anything top 12, 13 is a, is a wonderful success this year. Top 15 would be a, a step in the right direction, period. But they're, this is Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is about to be in his bag the last month of, of this of the cycle before early signing period. This is flipping is what he does. This was his his bread and butter at Ole Miss. He did that right off the bat at Auburn, and uh, he's got a team that he can point to heading in the right direction to help out those efforts. Auburn and Central playing a playoff game this Friday as well over at uh, Central Phoenix City. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, there was there was a noteworthy Central Phoenix City commitment uh, to Texas A and M. Uh, Texas A&M made a change today as the head coach, as we as we could talk about there. Hey, uh, do you have any any, any uh, feeling about where Auburn could end up uh, bowl game wise? I, I know that the Gator Bowl has been picking up some steam lately. Apparently, there were some Gator Bowl reps yep. at the uh, at, at the, the Vanderbilt game in mm-hmm. Nashville. It's been nearly 50 years since Auburn has been to the Gator Bowl. Uh, I, I know there's also been talk of Houston and Nashville as as potential uh, destinations but uh Jacksonville would be uh would would be an interesting one yeah I've been a long time since Auburn's played a bowl game there all right so let's do a little let's do a little uh quick and I'm going to try to I'm going to try to plan this out for everybody you know in my in my head so if it kind of gets wonky bear with me all right so at this point in the season we got two games left in uh, uh two games left in college football in the college football regular season uh we know that Georgia and Alabama, barring anything crazy down the stretch, those are two teams. Those are the teams A that are going to be playing each other in Atlanta. You would think that Georgia and Alabama would be one of them would be a playoff team, the other one would be a New Year's Six team, potentially both. Like you know, you could you could end up, who knows? Two teams can get into the playoff. It's it's still possible at this point. Then you look out elsewhere. You've got Missouri. Uh, who's got a, who's got a favorable schedule down the stretch and Ole Miss? Both of those teams are at eight and two right now. You're looking at, in a way, 
One of those teams being a New York Six team, an at-large bid. I think Missouri's got a great shot. Ole Miss might have a tougher shot because they got the doors blown off of them by by Georgia on Saturday. But you know, keep that in mind. That's four teams that are clearly a step above, you know, where the rest of the pack is in the SEC. So, if you get a playoff team and a, a New Year Six team, and then a an additional New Year Six team, that's three. That fourth team. The SEC has to send a team to what used to be the Citrus Bowl. I don't know if it's still called the Citrus Bowl. I believe it is. It is still. It's the Citrus Bowl again. Okay. So they have to send the top team that's not a playoff team or a New Year Six Bowl team into the Citrus Bowl. All right. That's four teams right off the bat. Then there is a thing called the Group of Six in the in in uh, in the bowl. And I'm going to try to see if I can think of all these off the top of my head. All right. You have got the Gator Bowl, as Dan mentioned. You have got the Music City Bowl in Nashville. You've got the uh, I believe the ReliaQuest Bowl is one of these, right? That's the old Outback Bowl. Yeah, um, that is the one in Tampa. So that the Outback Bowl is in there. Um, I'm still going to call it the Outback Bowl. The Texas Bowl is in there. The Liberty Bowl is in there. And this year, since it is an odd year, the Duke's Mayo Bowl is in. That rotates with the Vegas Bowl. That is the group of six. Those are six. The SEC just kind of places teams wherever. If you're in that six, you're just kind of in that in that mix. Why is that important? Well, because if you look at bowl-eligible teams at this point that we haven't mentioned yet, Tennessee is going to a bowl. Kentucky is going to a bowl. Um, uh, yeah, LSU is going to a bowl. Texas A&M is going to a bowl. Auburn is going to a bowl. And you and Kentucky's go. Or I already said Kentucky. Uh, is there another one that I'm missing? Did say LSU. I think I said LSU. Okay. Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, Texas A&M, Auburn. Uh. South Carolina's got to win out. Florida's got to win one more, and that's not going to be a certain thing because they have to play Missouri. Uh, Mississippi State's got to win out. That's going to be tough, and Arkansas's already out. So if you're outside of that group of six in a in a year where 11 or 12 teams or whatever get into the uh, get into the you know bowl eligibility, those are that's where you get to the Birmingham Bowl and the St. Petersburg Bowl. That's the those are the two left. So, which is not played in the trop, which is an outrage, no, by the way. Yeah. They don't play. They don't play. They the stopped playing the trop a few years ago. Yeah, in trop can't field. So, so here's the thing, Auburn fans, you are looking at one of six options because unless something screwy happens at the top, Auburn is going to be firmly in that group of six, and it just matters. It just depends on where the SEC and the Bulls want to send you. Um, the Gator Bowl, like you said, Dan, it Auburn has not been there in a very long time. There's a lot of momentum uh, behind that game for Auburn. Auburn fans would love to go to Jacksonville. It's it's you know it's easy to get to for for a lot of people in the fan base. That'd be fine. Music City Bowl, uh, you've been to the one one of those recently. You just played in Nashville this year. That one, that one, it might be you know you could see where they might shuffle you away from that one. Outback Bowl. You've you've been in that one plenty of times recently. Texas Bowl, that's probably A and M. That's probably where A and M's going to be. End up them or LSU. Liberty Bowl is a possibility. Mayo Bowl is also a possibility. I just think in terms of uniqueness and history, Gator Bowl makes a lot of sense. I'd also keep my eye on the Mayo Bowl and maybe the Liberty Bowl. And I I think ReliaQuest is is in we're in the mix for that too. Especially I think yeah. I think an Auburn win uh, in the Iron Bowl. Uh, would would change the fortunes a little bit. So sure. you know, th- then I think but that that group of six is all together. Like it is. You, it, there's there's no real difference. Of them. It it see it seems like, and I I don't know exactly the order. You know, as far as who gets to choose, uh, twenty four seven 
has Auburn in the Outback Bowl right now, I believe. It, or no, it has 24-7 has Auburn in Jacksonville in the Gator Bowl, Gator Bowl. against yep. uh, Georgia Tech. They've got LSU in the ReliaQuest Bowl in Tampa against Notre Dame. Uh, and I think that's where the fact that Notre Dame could be an opponent for one of these bowl games, uh, make, mm. you know, move, moves the moves the needle a little bit because absolutely, as I, th- I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame being part of the ACC's mix of of bowl teams, which I believe is the case, they could be your opponent in the Gator Bowl too, depending yeah. on how things. So, so Notre Dame is. I think the Mayo Bowl is also an ACC game. I, I mean, you have the uh, the 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 possibility is there that Auburn could draw Notre Dame as a bowl opponent, which would be. I think I mean I mean we're about to play him in basketball uh, this week. You're going to go see yeah. that game in, uh, in in New York, but yeah, I think a, a a matchup between those two in football, regardless of where it is, I think would be a really exciting possibility for uh, for Auburn folks. One of the things I took away from this game afterwards, you get to the six six win, you talk to players after the game. Eugene Asante had a great quote on it. A lot of other others have. You can tell kind of the culture's changed with Auburn. They go in the four-game losing streak, and it could have been easy to point a lot of fingers and feel down. The fan base was very upset about the way things were going, especially on offense. And Auburn just needed to take care of business, play better football, and start start getting some momentum. They've done that. They've got a real chance to be 7-4, and four, heading into the Iron Bowl with momentum. We know what that happens in Jordan-Hare Stadium when Auburn has a pulse. It can just get interesting. Very, very interesting very quickly. And I think Alabama, even though Alabama's playing better football right now, they and, and going to Atlanta, they are not immune uh, to, to close games. We saw them get into a dogfight with this Arkansas team and, and several others this season. So it's going to be very, very fascinating to see. Painter, you had a you had a really interesting question when we were doing our pre-show meeting about the schedule for Auburn. I, I think it's a fun. I think it's a fun hypothetical. Can you kind of run that through for the uh, for the fans and the and the listeners at home? I'm not the only person that likely thought this and i know i saw at least uh, a couple people float the idea out there i think uh, graham carr on twitter was one of the people i saw mention this i'm not totally sure that i i buy this theory but i would certainly open to entertaining the idea that if auburn's schedule was flipped around playing some of these teams they've played over the last three weeks to build a little bit of momentum and confidence and iron out some of the kinks that they had especially in the first half of the season it does make you wonder if their record would be better. You know, I think it's important to note just how much of a talent disadvantage they were at in some of those losses. Um, but I, I do think it's worth entertaining. I really like this question. So it, I think you can look at it a couple of ways. Number one, let's say Auburn, the seven games they played in the SEC, let's divide them into the four losses and the three wins. So you're saying A&M, LSU, um, Georgia and Ole Miss put them in a group together and then put uh, State, Vandy, and now Arkansas in a group together. So if Auburn would have started SEC play with State, Vandy, and Arkansas right through, could they have gone 3-0? and Maybe. I, I, I'll tell you this. The Auburn team that was playing right after the Sanford game probably could have managed through that crew i don't know if they sweep it like auburn had to figure some stuff out but if you're saying hey auburn could have won three games and now you're rolling into a&m now you're rolling into the lsu game or the georgia game i guess georgia would have gone first now you're rolling into lsu now you're rolling into the old miss game they might be able to pick off one of those games and i think in the grand scheme of things like hugh freeze was talking about this yesterday about like 
putting his foot down and saying, "Hey, we're going to run the off. We're going to run fast pace offense." You know what we decided to do didn't work. Let's go ahead and and, and make this change, make make the switch. You can tell it bothers him because he feels like they could have won maybe a game or two uh, earlier in the year if they'd have done it earlier. But in the grand scheme of things, like, is there a huge difference this year between Auburn going seven and five and eight and four? Not really. Not really. Just another win would have helped. But it's not like you're winning a championship because of it. You're probably not even going to a better bowl game because of it. You're probably not getting more money because of it. Um, but it is a fun thought experiment because, guys, this was the most imbalanced schedule I've ever seen. Like, it was just like, all right, get all your hard ones out front. And Alabama's definitely a hard game. But, like, get the really hard ones out of the way up front and then get, like, even if it wasn't just like I said where it's like you flip the schedule, what if it was peppered in a little bit more? What if Auburn would have opened SEC play with State instead of A&M? What if, what if between the LSU and Georgia games you slot in Arkansas or Vandy? Does that change the tone and the direction of the year if you're a believer in momentum on a program level? Did Auburn I – guess, I guess there's two ways of looking at it, right? Because in you, know, you could think that what Auburn – what Auburn went through against teams like A&M and Ole Miss and Georgia and LSU, you know, helped get them ready to, to handle business these last couple of weeks. You could also think of it as if Auburn had been able to play Vanderbilt and state and Arkansas earlier in the season, could they have built enough momentum to beat a team like Ole Miss or Georgia? Because those games were close. We'll never know uh, if, if Auburn, had been able to, you know, if, they, if they'd played these teams earlier in the year, if, if it, if it would have, uh, you know, if it would have led to them figuring things out to a degree where they could beat Ole Miss at home or, or, or finish off the Georgia game. Like, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm more inclined to think that what Auburn learned about itself in those mm-hmm. tough games earlier in the season helped make these last couple of weeks as uh as fruitful as as they were for the team because i mean yeah may, maybe it was uh you know may, maybe it was a, a learning experience having to go through a&m and lsu and Ole miss and georgia in in back-to-back weeks uh before you before you got something of a break in these in these most recent conference games yeah i i think it might have you might have gotten another win maybe maybe not more than that but like and again, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. It'd have been, it's good to win. Obviously, your fans love it, your players love it, your coaches love it. Um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if how much would change, but it is a really fun thought experiment. I like now if the, like where if you're the A&M from. game. Now, if the A and M game had been later in the season, like yeah. if you're, face, if you're facing A and M next week or two weeks from now, I'll tell you one thing. I tell you one thing. I'd rather have played Georgia at the beginning of the year than you have right now. I mean, good lord, they are, they're fine. They're more than fine right now. Um. But yeah, no, this it's a it's a it's an interesting thought experiment. I really enjoy it. And and I'll say this also, like I do kind of side with Dan there a little bit and say, hey, Auburn may have needed to hit I'm not saying rock bottom. It didn't get awful, awful, but like they probably things needed to did hit not like feel a, awesome after the LSU game. Just things didn't feel awesome there after the old miss game either. Right, right. But it was just kind of like, hey, hold the rope, weather the storm, and and they've done that. And I mean, three straight double-digit wins against anybody. That's that's good. That's like that's a sign of prior. Auburn has gotten better. They win next week against New Mexico State. They hit over on their on their Vegas uh, win total. That's no small accomplishment. They're gonna have a chance to have a really competitive game against Alabama. The Iron Bowl is going to be unreal. 
in terms of atmosphere. It is going to be on fire, and I and I can't wait to I can't wait to you know cover another game in, in that kind of environment. Heck, the New Mexico State game next week. I won't be there. That New Mexico State game next week should be a lot of fun, just because Auburn's got life. They're coming back home with a three game winning streak. And uh, and and just the the tone of the program and the direction of where the the season's gone has has completely flipped. Could be could be a little light attendance wise. A lot of students go home uh, the, uh, the the weekend sure. before Thanksgiving. And, and it's not going to be folks... as bad as Arkansas, though. No, I wrote about no. I wrote about it in the intro to my story on uh, on on Sunday morning. Uh, there was an Auburn player. I'm not going to name who who it was because I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to you know, dox him or anything like that or get him in trouble. I don't think they get in trouble for this anyway. But this player looked up during stretches and, and warm-ups and said, this is uh, 45 minutes left until kickoff. He's like, this is all that's here? So Jordan Harry would be packed out right now. And it's true. And I think there's going to be some folks that are going to stay back and watch all maybe they, New Mexico State. Maybe they get a month for Thanksgiving at, uh, at Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, the students, maybe the students went home. Well, maybe, no. they're, already, maybe they're already in line. No, at, I, no, at no. no I, I tell you, the students, the student section was packed out, like not completely full, but really, really good student section. By the way, in the student section, saw in that game, Auburn, uh, a quarterback commit, Walker White, uh, a, a an Arkansas native, went and stood in the Auburn student section, found a found a girl in the Auburn student section who was wearing an Auburn jersey, and they just they became the few and the proud by the end of the game. But um, yeah, this is uh, it was, you know, Auburn went in and once again just took the crowd out of out of the game and. So what you got to have, and again, and and our, our buddy Bryce pointed it out uh, on Twitter. I apparently said this at one point in time, or written this at one point in time. Winning these last three games against these teams, it's not going to make everybody think Auburn's a contender again or a powerhouse again. But like, it shows that you are not starting from the bottom when you with this new SEC that's about to come in with a balanced schedule, the end of divisions, um, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the pack. Auburn is a step above where Arkansas is right now, where Mississippi State is right now, where Vandy is right now. I would say on the field, they're a step ahead of where Florida is. Florida is also recruiting out of their minds at the moment. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. Um, you might be on par with like a Kentucky. You might be on par with, you know, you feel like a and is about to hit the reset button. Like you're, you're in a solid spot right now if you're Auburn. And when you've had back-to-back losing seasons, it's a good place to go is it, it, to be – uh, on the upward trajectory. All right, fellas, let's talk some Auburn basketball before we go. Auburn, um, or should we? Should we I mean, we've teased the Jimbo thing. Oh yeah, you're right. We you're want right. to get a, a, br- a brief let's, let's before quick. we pivot. Yeah, yeah, let's 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 quick Jimbo thoughts. Quick Jimbo thoughts. Painter, quick Jimbo thoughts. Go. I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> I'm very jealous, man. I'm sure that it's no fun to fail publicly, but when it comes with the price tag, you could. You could sign me up for that. Dan, quick Jimbo thoughts. We'll, we'll, we'll talk Jim, more about Jimbo. I mean, it's it's not even – the money is the thing that people are going to notice because it's the biggest buyout ever. I guess the reports are that the buyout's in the neighborhood of $75 million. That doesn't factor in what he's been paid since 2018 to be Texas A&M's coach, so you're probably looking at $150 million or so. Texas A&M will have paid to Jimbo Fisher in salary and buyout uh, to to coach their team from 2018 until now, um, yeah, it's it's just a uh, it's it's surprising uh, because you thought may- maybe they would be reluctant to cough up that kind of money 
to make a change when things weren't disastrous. They were just merely unacceptable. Uh, but uh, here, here we are, and I I don't know where they're going next. I mean, I would I would think Mike Elko has a chance because he was there uh, as the defensive coordinator, and he's been doing some winning at Duke. But that's a really expensive move to go get Mike Elko. Like, and they've kind of and they've kind of they've kind of tailed off this year after a hot start. They just lost in overtime to North Carolina uh, in, in a wild game last night. Is there a is there a name or a short list that that you can think of, Justin? Where it's I, like, I, okay, here's here's where here's where A and M might be going. Okay, so two things here. Number one, um, I don't expect A and M to be quiet and just like go get a cheap hire after after. Like I've seen like Jeff Trailer from UTSA, who is a great Texas guy. Elko, like again, these are good football coaches, and with the resources that A and M could give you, could be really good, but. This is AM, man. They're they've got more money than God, and they're gonna try to swing for the absolute fences. And look, anybody can get it, man. Like the, this it's is the old thing that <clears throat> our buddy Richard Johnson said last year during the or years ago during the carousel. Notre Dame lost a head coach. Oklahoma lost a head coach. Anybody can get it. Anybody can get it. And so Lincoln A&M, Riley. <laughs> the lifeboat. I, look, I'm sure they're gonna go after Dan Lanning. I'm sure they're going to go after and like even Lane Kiffin, like even Lane Kiffin is one of those where you're like, okay, how much better do you like? Is that right? Because we hadn't seen like, but you know, it would be a step up, I think. But it's not the home run hitting higher that they thought that Jimbo was going to be. Even though some people at the time, and I will be vindicated on this, some people at the time noticed that Jimbo was going backwards at Florida State because once Jimbo did not have the best talent in his division in his area things dried up at florida state really quickly and florida state's got it's they've wandered in the wilderness but florida state's doing just fine right now uh with a different head coach i'm half kidding when i throw dabbo's name out there so okay all right i i i i don't think he would leave he'd be crazy but like that's that is something that it would make sense to me that's something where I would be like, he'd be like, I'm tired of Clemson. I need a change. And they're just like, well, he's won a national title more recently than Jimbo has. Let's go. Like, and and run the same playbook again. Maybe. Like, maybe. Um, this is not a home run hire at all. And it's probably not going to happen. And he got flat embarrassed yesterday. Um, Mike Gundy makes a ton of sense in my head as a Texas A&M head coach. I think offense, I think past success, I think he just fits the vibe there. There's a time when I think that would have been more tantalizing for A&M, right? Like now... Maybe last week after they beat OU in Bedlam yeah, and not yeah. gotten hammered by UCF. Not before Gus gave him the business in uh, in, in Orlando. No, I, I think, uh, yeah, where A&M decides to go, it doesn't feel like there's an obvious... Like, oh, okay, this is the guy that AM would can get that everybody would be really fired up for at college you station. Thamel, you see Thamel throw out Kingsbury's name? I'm like, what why? Why? Why are we doing this? Huh? What? Why? An- uh, yeah, another another opportunity. Like, like that's let's let's maybe maybe it'll work this time. I with... think John Gruden's gonna be great in college station. All Look, right. Just start throwing uh, out fi- crazy fine, names. Fine. Urban. You got it. All right. Okay, so Urban That's Meyer. the one, but that's the one, right? That's the one. If you're Jimbo going home only, run, Jimbo had only won one national championship. That was the problem. We okay, needed that, some again. That's the thing. It's like if you're going for the the super massive home run, like that, that's is that it? 
And Jimbo says, or Jimbo, Urban says he's not ready to come back into coaching. And I, I'm not going to start believing anything Urban Meyer says right now, but like AM will have the money to do it. I just, I, do they go do something insane? I'm just, De- I, I don't Dion? know. I mean, maybe not right now, but why not? I mean, Dion with Jim, Dion with AM money is like, I don't know. Who, no, who was like, the? I, I should give credit to whoever it was on social media that pointed out that this is the second time now that a school has paid a huge buyout to a coach the day after he beats Mississippi State because it, it yep. happened. I mean, oh, it, it A&M killed Mississippi State. It was yeah. their biggest home win in conference history, I think, or at least SEC history. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a bummer for Mississippi State, right? That you're <laughs> you're the kiss of death. Um. Yeah, I just think if I'm a struggling head coach and I'm in a make or break year and I see Mississippi State's late on my schedule, I'm like, oh no, oh no, not again. Like, right. yeah, that that would be tough. It ri- I mean, rides. I'm interested in what Arkansas. I'm interested in what Arkansas does. Rides a pale think, horse. Because I can see Arkansas. I can see Arkansas going going big. I mean, I'm sure people are going to be pushing for Gus there. I'll tell you, he's not an A and M fit. I don't think he's an A and M fit. He would be a great Arkansas fit and somebody. Chris Kleiman. Chris Kleiman would be pretty high up on that because it feels like it, it feels like uh Lance Leipold's not going anywhere uh from Kansas. He's he's been very adamant about that. That's a hard job. Arkansas to me is a rough so like, hard. To, to, and win, got winning, all the yeah. money and the resources and all that, but it's just hard to win there. It's, yeah, you I just mean, don't have the same talent level that a lot of places do. I'll believe I'll believe in the resources available to Arkansas football when they consistently put up a top ten recruiting class every year. Okay, that that's Correct. when you can Correct. that's when you can convince me about all the resources they've got is when you've got well, because they because they've been in the they've been in the league thirty years and they've sure. never come they've never come close to out recruiting the top teams in the SEC West and I, that's and, that's where I mean if you want if I mean and and fi- maybe you can find a coach who can do that but I mean I I think it's so tempting to just to just divert those resources to Eric Musselman. And then think, no, you know, that, and I was about to say that like Arkansas has got a great history and, and tradition in a lot of other sports that aren't football, basketball, obviously baseball, track. Um, I know that's a minor sport, but yeah, like they, they, they swing pretty heavy. Uh, I'm told that might be the nicest. That might be the nicest on campus baseball facility that, that, and that anyone's got right now. Like I'm told there, they are in the top that or, tier. It's either that or Mississippi state. Yeah. State state's right there too, but I, I'm we told parked Arkansas. by there yesterday. It's, it's very nice. Um, I uh, yeah. It's just I, I guess it's e- it's easier when you're Arkansas to win at a sport that where you don't have to get eighty five guys, you know, <laughs> like the depth of your resources and the depth of your scope uh, and your reach um might go a little bit, like a, little, a lot easier to do that in basketball. Well, I wouldn't say a lot easier, but like especially with the tradition Arkansas has with the with the you know the forty minutes of hell teams and all that. Like it, it's just been easier to sell. Like what. What is the Arkansas football tradition that you're pointing to if you're trying to say, hey, let's get back to X, like when Jerry Jones was in school? Is that why it might be tempting to uh, – I mean, I mentioned Mike Elko for A&M. Like, Mike Elko's winning at Duke right now, which well, is – Well, I'll which, say this. Anybody who's not in the SEC or Big Ten or about to be in the SEC or the Big Ten, you're, 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 you're on a watch list. Like, if you're an ACC coach or a Big 12 coach or the chart remains at the Pac-12 or – Group of five, like 
I I could see just because of the money available, like you could get you could get poached. You could easily get poached. You could be you could be rolling big in the ACC or the Big Twelve right now, and you could still get it. I think I think Jed Fish is a pretty good coach. That's it. I mean, Arizona's, and I would have never thought, and I would have never thought that was because yeah. that looked like it was going to be a terrible yeah. hire. Yeah, I'm 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 usually nervous about limited college experience, especially limited recent college experience, but a lot of time in the pros. Uh, Jed Fish knows what he's doing. Like that's that's a guy I've watched a couple of Arizona games this year. Like I am floored by what he's been able to build there. Painter, who should who should AM hire? You know, my gut reaction is as a coach that they're not going to get, and that's Dan Lanning. I don't think that uh-huh. he's interested in leaving the spot he's in, and I don't have anything to back this up, but he's in such a good spot, it seems, at the moment. The only job I could plausibly see him leaving for right now would be the Alabama job, which who knows sure. what that could look like. So, um, you know, if you go get a guy like Elko or Kiffin, it's a solid hire. You know, you can be excited about it. You can convince yourself that those could be good moves. Um, but I, I don't know who's out there right now that feels like a slam dunk. I tend to agree with you, Ferd, that because of the resources they have and because they've kind of failed um, – you know, the Sumlin thing fizzled out, and then they spent all this money on Jimbo, and he really was and he had a worse record than Sumlin yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, so it's like I feel like they they probably feel some pressure to go get a splashy name, and maybe they're able to do that. But who that person is right now, I don't know. I don't either. Hey, I've forgotten to mention this here in, in the in the recap of the Arkansas beatdown. Uh Auburn special teams, they've been they've been awesome. I, I wanted to make sure I, I, I shouted this out. Auburn special teams have been excellent all year. Um, you've got one of the best kicker punter duos in the country. Keontae Scott, good for him. This dude had tightrope surgery not too long ago, and he's returning punts for touchdowns. He finally got the big one. Uh, great blocking on that play, too. Uh, Alex McPherson has now uh, hit more consecutive field goals than anybody in Auburn history. He's already passed Daniel Carlson. If you have not seen the picture that Jeff Shearer tweeted of Daniel Carlson and Alex McPherson when McPherson won a kicking camp at Auburn in 2017, go look at it. It is incredible because Alex looks like he's about six years old. Um, but he said he told us, uh, told me after the game on um, on Saturday when, I, when we were talking about it, he said that was the moment he decided he wanted to play at Auburn and uh, winning that kicking camp. You know, getting to getting to be you know kick with Daniel Carlson and those guys. He's awesome. I mean, he's just automatic. Uh, and then yeah. Um, didn't punt a lot yesterday, but you had some decent punts when you did. I had a decent punt, I think, when you did. Auburn special teams, like, it's so easy to, like, how many teams have we seen in college football where their special teams have just killed them? Like, and just, they're so bad at it that they lose games because of it. Auburn's had a pretty good track record with special teams. This unit looks really good. Tanner Burns, not the former Auburn pitcher uh, turned first-round pick, uh, but Auburn's special teams coordinator deserves a lot of credit. He's done an excellent job this year. He was a great hire by uh, by uh, Hugh Freeze. Um, I just wanted to shout out the special teams unit. Again, Auburn's got the iron ball coming up. We have seen special teams play huge roles in the, in, in, in that game in the past. So keep an eye out on that. But good for Keontae Scott. First Auburn punt return for a touchdown since 2014. Quan Bray, uh, first true punt return for a touchdown in an SEC game for Auburn. Since the famous Chris Davis muff to uh to punt return touchdown against Tennessee in 2013, so it had been a minute since Auburn had had pulled off one of those. But I just wanted to shout out Auburn special teams unit. All right, real quickly before we go, don't want to. We've already gone long here, but Auburn basketball uh, beating Southeastern Louisiana, odd game on Sat uh, on Friday night, not too 
surprising that it was such a weird game. Uh, Auburn 86, Southeastern 71. Dan, did you end up going to that game? I don't know if we ended up talking about it. I- I did not go. I uh, I was uh, I had something else that would have prevented me from going until into the second half. Uh, but I was able to uh, I was able to watch the whole thing. So weird game. I mean, Auburn got off to such a cold start on offense, and you kind of look around. And you're like, man, this this is the same team that played Baylor a few days ago. They still scored 86 at the end of the game. Like Auburn had not Auburn did not score 80 points in back to back games against anybody last year. They did that in this game. Shot decently well after such a cold start. Um, the three point shooting is there. Um, Aiden Holloway, Aiden Holloway. I mean, I'd love to see if there's ever been a true freshman at Auburn that has had. Uh, I could only go back twenty years. I don't know if there's been a, a, a true freshman at Auburn that has hit three or more threes in his in his first two college games. Um, it is he is in a special class right now. Uh, Jalen Williams getting to be the uh, the the all time winningest player in Auburn basketball history. It's a really cool feat. He had a slow start and kind of bounced back from that one. Janai Broom, quiet first half, dominant second half. You like you like a lot of that from it. For Bruce, though, you could tell after the game he was very irritated about the defense. Southeastern Louisiana put up some big numbers in the second half, bigger numbers than you would expected after, I mean, they went nearly a nine minutes without a field goal uh, in the first half. Um He's talking about effort. He's talking about energy. Here's the thing. We've seen this Auburn team. You go back to that Baylor game and how great they looked on offense and defense against a a great team. Uh, To me, Auburn's problems in the second half, the fouls, the the, the rebounding, the kind of lackluster defense. I mean, I could be wrong. This could just be – this could be naive of me. I look a lot of it like that as just effort and energy and excitement. Bruce seems to be really was really upset about that after the game. It's fixable. Like, Dan, like you never want to be in a point with your team and you're just saying, hey guys, hustle more. That's not a good sign. But at the beginning of the year, you're a few days off after a tough loss. You're playing at home against an overmatched team. You'll live with it. Um again, the team we saw on Sioux Falls just on offense and defense, they played so well that I think if they just if they're playing at a high level, high energy level. They're gonna be fine most of the time, and and even Pearl said that they're gonna be okay. And, and far be it for me to suggest anything to, uh, to to Bruce Pearl about how to get more out of his team. But I would think with a ten or eleven man rotation, a lack of hustle is easily fixed because you take the guy who's not hustling out, you put someone else in. Yep. Because and, and that's I mean when you only have when you only go five or six deep, a lack of hustle from your starters is a big problem. But yeah. I, I think in this case, and you can also explain some of it as fatigue. You know when when Bruce is, is yeah uh, like, getting up for the game. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a packed house because but, but Friday I'm thinking, night. I'm I'm thinking that won't be a problem consistently in part mm-hmm. because there's too much competition at every spot for for effort to to be a problem on the court. Penner, Katie Johnson, and Chad Baker Mazzara. That really fun to watch them on on Friday night. They seem to be the uh, the spirit animals of this basketball team this year, and they both they both played really really well. Yeah, it's it's nice to, for for Katie to have a crazy person beside him, um, so he doesn't have to take on so much at once. They have become so close friends. Like you can watch them at practice. Like they're they they hit it off immediately, and you can tell when they're on the floor. And like, yeah, Chad's got that crazy energy about him. Like he's he's gonna do the. I I, I feel like Katie's having to step up his craziness because he knows Chad's pushing him, which is what we all want. You all want Folks, everybody competition needs a friend. is great for everyone. Uh, yeah, and iron it's sharpens nice that, iron. It's nice that Bruce has a soft spot for the crazy guys. 
because I think oh, yeah. he himself is as aware. He's like, well, me too. Yeah, he's like, I, I, I can get, I can get pretty hyped up, but pretty charged up. I, I do wonder if, uh, if Holloway or uh, Baker Mazzara could crack the starting lineup, or if Bruce Light they close yeah. that, that closing lineup they ran on on set. I think that or Friday night that is their best lineup. I think it's it's Aiden, uh, Katie, or I'm sorry, Aiden, Denver, Chad. Jalen Janai. I think that's your best unit. I think that could end up being your starting lineup in the near future. Now that I, I mean, I, I know they want some balance on the second unit too, and so one of those players might find their way to, to sure. the second unit to provide some. Like I, I could see a, a Cheney and Jalen swap, and then and, you have and, and Trey you have did Jaylen not. And, and I'll, I'll say this: Aiden played well. Trey did not play badly at all. Uh, you know, did not turn the ball over much in this game. I think he only had one turnover. Pushed the pace. Um, a couple of y'all who were there on set on, on Friday night pointed it out, um, a couple of subscribers is like, you can just tell it, it pops up a lot better. I think in person than on TV, they're just playing faster on offense. And when Trey Donaldson's in the game, it's like, they're trying to go hyperspeed. And Bruce even said after the game, he's trying to get Aiden to get to that, that pace as well, which obviously Trey, Trey has a whole year of experience and kind of coming up with that. He's got that quarterback mentality to him as well. He all eyes always up. Uh, and, and 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 pretty good vision, but yeah, like Dan, I, I'm with you. Like the problems seem a lot more fixable when you have depth, and uh, you can just say, "Hey, if you're not, if you're not going to break it, there's a there's a guy at your position that that will." And I think defensively they're going to be fine. But Auburn, uh, yeah, good win against South Southeastern Louisiana in the case that they won and they won by double digits. Southeastern Louisiana never really threatened too much down the stretch in in that game. Um, when I think they got to seven at one point in Auburn. Kind of took it away from there. They are shooting the three a lot better this year, and that's a really good sign. Um, the assist counts are high. Just got to just got to tighten up on the defense, um, defend without fouling. Some of the def- some of the foul calls in this game were just awful. How about the guy just falling down and refs blowing the whistle because they were anticipating contact? I mean, you just can't you can't you can't do that. Like it's just it's bad. Officiating's bad. I know it's tough to officiate college basketball. It's a tough sport. It's a fast sport, but Come on, it's we gotta be we gotta be better than this. Um we're a little light on basketball because of because it's time today. But I will tell you, uh so Auburn plays Thursday against Notre Dame uh in basketball in in Brooklyn. Thursday morning, we are gonna have our podcast out probably Thursday morning. We're gonna preview the Brooklyn series and the New Mexico State game. We'll knock that out. I'll be in Brooklyn for those basketball games. Won't be back in time to have New Mexico State. Uh, basketball or football. Dan, will you be at that one? Will you be? I, I. Are you on the road? I'm going to Knoxville. Yeah, we. uh, Troy, Troy at Tennessee uh, a week from uh, today, next Sunday. Uh, I believe that game uh, could even be on your television. Uh, I need, I need to check on, I need to check on that. I'm handling a radio call for Troy up in uh, up in Knoxville so that I, I will be on the great bus. environment love 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 going to that arena I, I I will be on the bus headed to uh headed to the big orange uh when uh when we uh when, when Auburn is playing New Mexico State all right so our next uh free podcast will be next Sunday uh we'll talk we'll talk Auburn in Brooklyn we'll talk Auburn against New Mexico State we'll recap all that action our next preview podcast later this week we will talk we'll preview all of those games and so if you want that subscribe to the observer Got a ton of stuff on the written side coming up. Appreciate everybody subscribing, listening, enjoying. Um, it's been a busy week. I'm looking forward to getting home for a couple of days and then right back out on the road. It's a great time of year, though, having a lot of fun. AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. 
and we will talk to you guys again later in the week. Painter, final thoughts. Okay, Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Right. 2008. Movies from 2008 that we love or that the audience might not yet have paid enough attention to. I don't want to cut off Dan right off the bat, but 08, I do. I did know this right off the top of my head. The Dark Knight is 08. So that is the, that is the, I think that ended up being the, the top movie of 08. Which I, and, and so I think you'd also get, uh, you would also get Tropic Thunder uh, that, that summer uh, with, uh, with, with the, because Heath Ledger, I mean, I know Heath Ledger beats Robert Downey Jr. Uh, to mm. win the, to win the posthumous. Uh, Academy Award, uh, and I'm thinking if you get Tropic Thunder that summer, you also get Iron Man, uh, which would be uh, in the uh, in in the in the same uh, ballpark. I think I think Iron Man and the Dark Knight came out yes in the uh, in in the same summer. Ooh, Wally would be would be in that um, as well. Which I mean that that is a the first first hour or so of Wally. I remember seeing it with my young my younger siblings. And I thought they would be bored stiff, right? Because that first hour of Wally is dialogue free and it's just robots on the garbage planet. But it yeah, is it's, it's very conceptual. But it is it is fascinating the way that I mean, first of all, the fact they made it as interesting as they did, but also that it was able to hold, hold the uh, hold the attention of kids and um and and uh, I, I don't know if you haven't if it's been a while or if you haven't seen like that that is a that's 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 an incredible little piece of movie making by Pixar. Dan, can I give you a 2008 movie? I know you you'll ride for. Yeah, lay it on me. The Wrestler. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm an Aronofsky guy anyway. So then for him to make a for him to make a movie about a a, a washed up garbage wrestler uh, like like Mickey Rourke, I mean that 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 was uh yeah that that movie is now. The wrestler, I always thought borrowed heavily from there's a documentary called Beyond the Mat that was made about a decade before the wrestler. And a lot of the scenes in the wrestler resembled the Jake Roberts parts of the Beyond the Mat documentary and, and especially yeah, which makes not, sense. Yeah, I'm not and I'm not suggesting anyone plagiarized anything, but see having seen if you've seen the wrestler and you've never seen Beyond the Mat, uh Beyond the Mat is sort of a glimpse of I think I think we follow like a, a a guy starting out in the wrestling business, we follow a washed up, sort of beaten down wrestler, and then we follow someone who's at the top of the game right now. It's sort of three three stories of of different you know ways that a, a wrestling career can go, and a lot of the Mickey Rourke, uh, especially the stuff with his daughter, the estranged daughter stuff. Like it, it's very reminiscent of Jake Roberts trying to reconnect with his estranged daughter in Beyond the Mat. And it's uh, if if you've never seen that before, there's also Beyond the Mat also features. There was a if you, if you know who Mick Foley is, there's a match where Mick Foley was hit by a chair a bunch of times, and his kids were in the front row, and Beyond the Mat was filming this at the time, and you get the, I mean the footage of the footage of Foley's family, like watching this as as it's happening, understanding what wrestling is. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, in, it's incredibly difficult to, uh, to, to, to sit through. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's sort of, I mean, and if you're a fan of any sort of violent entertainment, like it's, it's something that sort of makes you, you know, re- rethink exactly what it is you're yeah. consuming. I got one more for you. You, you in Bruges guy. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it took, took me a while to, uh, to do in Bruges and, and I, I like in Bruges more than, cause that's a, that, that's a Martin McDonough, right? Yep. I, I, and, and it's I, his first, it's his first movie. I liked it more than the others. Although I really liked Banshees of Inishirin, uh, which, which came out yeah, uh, last three, year. Three, three billboards. I couldn't stand. Uh, I, yeah. did, I did like, I did like Banshees though. Three, yeah. Three, three billboards was not for me. Although I did think Woody Harrelson is, is great in, uh, in, in three billboards. I usually enjoy Woody Harrelson's work, but, but yeah, if you've never seen in Bruges, like dark, super funny, uh, Colin Farrell, it's one of those performances that makes you think he should be in everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, I mean, yeah, in, in Bruges, yeah, yeah, good, good call, Justin. Painter, your, 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 your Wally take. Where does Wally rank on the Pantheon? I, I am a fan of the movie of all the Pixar movies. It's one that I've watched less than some others. Uh, really big. So the, the Toy that Story one for guy, me, really yeah, big that Monsters one, Inc. guy. Up the the first ten minutes of Up or whatever it is oh. are heart wrenching. I mean, so yes, big fan, love it, yeah. but also for whatever reason, just have not spent as much time okay. watching that. So that one for me of Pixar critically acclaimed, like the one everybody says this is awesome. I've probably only watched Ratatouille like once, and I know I know it's awesome. I know people I know people really really enjoyed it, but yeah, that I can see that it's not necessarily the most rewatchable thing all, of of all time, but it's really really good. I got a 2008 movie that people maybe haven't seen that I will put my reputation on because it rules, and you might think I'm crazy if you've never seen it. But I'm telling you, the Wach- the Wachowskis Speed Racer is sensational. Oh, yes. If you've never seen the live action Speed Racer from 2008, it is one of the best science fiction action thriller movies of of this millennium. Like it is outstanding. And I know you might be thinking it's Speed Racer. It's the cartoon. It's uh, it's Emil Hirsch. Like there's a lot of reasons why you should you know not take my word for it. Speed Racer is sensational. And if you've never seen uh, the 2008 Speed Racer before, like that movie is it, it's a travesty that it didn't make billions of dollars at the box office and, and launch a franchise. There will come a payday. Hallelujah. What a payday. There will come a payday someday. Someday there will come a payday. Hallelujah. What a payday. There will come a payday someday. When I lay my work by